All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. Uh, my name's Mike. If, uh, if you're wondering what in the world is going out in the lobby or like uh, what happened there, we had a water line burst uh, sometime Thursday night. We came in early Friday morning to inches of water and in some different spots, hallway, lobby, rooms, offices. And so uh, fortunately, we were caught it earlier than we normally would have. Friday's usually the off day for our staff, and that could have run all day Friday as well. Uh, so the fans are, are trying to dry things out. We'll figure out what's going on with that uh, early next week and you know how much drywall or whatnot that we need to replace. And um, this is why you have insurance. And so uh, it should be uh, taken care of. And I'm just glad it wasn't coming out of the ceiling. And we get to do church today. And it really hasn't slowed things down all that much. So, um, so we are in the midst of a series that we've entitled Finding Happiness. And the premise of the series is really very simple. Most people want to be happy. And yet, if you think about the people you know, you'd probably go, okay, most people I know want to be happy, but how many truly happy people do I know? And that number tends to be a lot smaller for us. And so we're going, okay, why is it that most people want to be happy and yet so few truly are? And in this series, we've made the argument that it's because for a lot of people, they're looking for happiness in the wrong places. It doesn't matter how hard I look, how long I look, if I'm looking for something in the wrong place, I am not going to find it there. And so what we're doing in this series is each week we are looking to a place where the Bible says to us, hey, you can find happiness here. This place may be a, a place that's counterintuitive, it may be countercultural to look here, but lasting happiness is found in these places. So we'll, we'll take a minute, we will pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into things for today. Father, just as we begin today, we ask that you would be with us, that you work in our hearts and our minds, you direct them to you and to what you're saying to us in our lives about where joy, about where gladness, about where happiness can be found. Father, we just uh, thank you that <laughs> we caught the water sooner rather than later and that some of the initial things uh, seem to be very favorable. We pray that you would be part of this process moving forward, and that we get everything squared away and not have any kind of lasting issues with mold or something else. Father, we just want to pray today for the missionaries from Haiti who were, um, who were kidnapped. Father, that you would be with them, that you would protect them, that you would deliver them. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know who I hate? Okay, that's a little strong. Um, you know who, who I am tempted to hate, who I, like, who I do not like, who I, the, the person who just, somebody who mistreats my kids. Moms and dads, Amen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, listen, you, you can be lousy to me. Whatever. I'll find a way to get you back. Um, you know, you're not going to be the first. You're not going to be the last. You might as well take a number, all right? Uh, you mistreat me, whatever. We'll figure it out. You mistreat my kids. We are not going to be okay, and it is not going to be okay. For, for example, um, a few years back, um, my mom's mom passed away. Uh, my mom passed away before her mother, 
And as long as I can remember, my mom's family has been dysfunction junction. There are four sisters. Two of them go out of their way to um, just harass, abuse, neglect, embarrass the other two. So when my mom passed, I was like, I've had enough. I'm going to avoid that side of the family. And so when my grandmother passed away, I didn't want to go to the memorial. I didn't want to deal with the dysfunction I knew was going to be there. And I had somebody say to me, it's the right thing to do. You really should go. And I was like, fine. So I went. And sure enough, my mom's family did not disappoint. So we're sitting there. We're in the memorial. One of my aunts is sharing remembrance about her mom, my grandmother, which is appropriate to do. And at one point during her remembrance, she puts a picture up on the screen. And it's got um, her grandchildren and one of my other aunt's grandchildren in the picture. And she says, I was so excited to post this picture on social media with a tag, great granny and all of her great grandchildren. Now, my kids weren't in the picture. My kids were great grannies, great grandchildren. In fact, they were great grannies, great grandchildren before the kids in the picture were even born. But true to form, that was granny and all of her great grandchildren. I was not okay with that. My kids who were sitting there with me in that row heard that, and I could tell they were not okay with it. And I was not okay with my aunt. Because if you mess with my kids, I'm not, we're not going to be good. It doesn't matter. You, you can come in here, you can bring me gifts, you can bring me money, you can sing me songs, you can bless my holy name. I don't care, all right? If you're not good with my kids, you're not good with me. It doesn't matter how you treat me. Now, just the opposite tends to be true for me. Most parents in the room will probably testify to this. You want to do something good for me? Do something good for my kids. You want to bless me? Bless my kids. If you want me to have a sense of indebtedness to you, look out for my children. I'll just be straight with you. There are people in my life who I am inclined to look out for more, who I will go out of my way for, that, that I, I'll do things for them that I don't do for other people. And one of the primary reasons is because of how good, how consistently good they have been to my children through the years. Good to my kids, you might as well be good to me. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking to yourself, okay, well, this is all very fascinating, who cares? (laughs) Like, why are you telling me this? And and here's the deal. It really is relevant to what we're going to talk about today, right? So file it away in the back of your head. This is more than me just getting stuff off of my chest. It'll be relevant to what we're talking about today. File it in the back of your head um, because we're going to come back to this. Because again, today, what we're talking about, we're we're looking at another internal practice that the Bible points us to when it comes to finding happiness. And and today's internal practice um, is, is people skills. In fact, look at the person next to you and with attitude, tell them, you need to work on your people skills. <laughs> Let them know. Make Marshawn proud, all right? Yeah, all right. So here's the, here's the deal, here's the deal. Throughout the New Testament, there's this growing list of things that some writers refer to as the one another's. This list of things we are told to do for and to one another. And the one and others in the New Testament, really, they just equate to good people skills. And so really, we're going to see today the New Testament is saying to us, hey, if you're looking for happiness, 
You want to increase your quotient of joy, gladness, happiness. You're going to find it in people skills. Now, we're going to look at, there's more than just three one another's in the New Testament. We're going to limit ourselves so you're not here all day to just three different one another's. But we're going to look at three different people skills that Scripture, um, logic, and some of the latest research will all connect with the levels of gladness or joy or happiness that we experience in our lives. But again, I warn you, th these are not places you would typically go to find happiness. They're, they're, they're counterintuitive, they're countercultural, and, and sometimes they're just plain weird. In fact, you see that in the first people school that we're going to look at today. It's brought to us, all three of them, we're going to look at three different one another's from the Apostle Paul. The first one comes from Romans, where Paul says this. He says, greet one another, and there's our one another word, greet one another with a holy kiss. You right there, Gene? All right, so, uh, so here's, why, here's why I need everybody in the room, up on their feet. I'm not joking, everybody on their feet today, all right? Stand up, stand up. Come on, come on, get up there, all right? Now, now take a look around the room. Look for somebody you don't know so well, all right? It is right here in the Bible, people, all right? On the count of three, you moisten those lips up, all right? You're going to go find somebody you don't know well, and you're going to plant a wet, sloppy one on them, all right? We're going to be biblical here at Faith Covenant Church. So everybody ready? One, two, I'm kidding. Sit down, all right? Now, different people had different reactions to that, all right? All right? Like some of you, some of you, you were ready to get violent. Like Sherry's up here in the front row. She's got her fist balled up. She's like, you plant a wet sloppy one on me, I will black your eye, right? <laughs> Some of the introverts in the room, you're on the verge of a panic attack. You saw your life flash before your eyes, right? The extroverts, though, right? The, the uber ultra hugger types, and we know who you are, right? You get a hold of us and we're freaking out, right? You're like, I found a new life verse, you know? You're, just, you're, you're, you're ready to get out there and kiss somebody. Here's the point, all right? At least on the surface, this seems insane, right? And here's the deal. Like, when, when somebody in our culture today does something inappropriate, your go-to, right, when you get caught, is you say, it was a one-time lapse in judgments, all right? I, I've never done this before. And then you scrub your email and your voicemail and you hope nobody finds where you did it before. I've never done this before and I'd never do it again. It was a one-time lapse in judgment. I don't know where that came from. Paul can't even claim that. Consider some other things Paul wrote in the New Testament. Give each other a holy kiss when you meet. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. No less than four times in the New Testament Paul's like, you all need to start kissing each other. Which, I'll be honest, it seems out of character for me, for Paul, because Paul does not, I read Paul's writings, he does not strike me as the uber-hugger type, right? He strikes me more as I'll black your eye type, you know? So you, you, gotta, you gotta go, okay, what is going on here? Is there, is there something beneath what this seems, that this seems to be saying on the surface of the passage? Like, if, if, if I was to dig beneath the history, the culture, the language that's on the surface of the passage here, would I find something different than what it seems to be saying to me in my world today? 
And if you're an introvert, the good news is yes. If you're an extrovert, I'm sorry. Just put those lips away. I don't know. Maybe get to use them another time in another place. Not here at church, okay? Here's the deal. First century culture, all right? A kiss was something that you would, you would do as a sign of friendship. It was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of care. It wasn't so much something romantic or seductive, but with someone, it was the way you acknowledged someone was a friend, someone was family, someone was incredibly important to you. We, we over-sexualize it in our culture today. In that culture, it was people skill number one. It was how you greeted someone. It's how you greeted another person well. In fact, in the first century church, a kiss was meant to communicate to another person, I'm happy to see you. I care about you. And, and this is a place where you can belong. In the first century church, a kiss communicated to the person you were smooching on. I'm happy to see you. I care deeply about you. And this community is a place where you can belong. Now, you kiss somebody out in the lobby after church today, it's not going to communicate this, all right? It's just going to freak them out, all right? But here's the deal communicating this message at church is still incredibly relevant and it's still incredibly important. In fact, it it really, it shapes how we do ministry on a Sunday morning in a number of ways. It's why why we've got greeters at the front door and a welcome center in the lobby, even though nobody can hear them because of all the fans, right? That's why we've got greeters at the front door of this room here. It's why there's coffee and water out at the cafe. It's not the mission of the church to keep you fully hydrated, right? We're hoping to get a coffee in your hand to get you hanging around for a few minutes and to have somebody directly or indirectly communicate this to you. It's why every Sunday we make you stand up, answer some stupid question, right, with somebody you don't know. The hope is... And in, in one of those ways, directly and indirectly, somebody's going to communicate to you, I'm happy to see you. I care about you. And this church is a place where you can belong. In fact, if like between now and next Sunday, I somehow like could like have magical powers where I could control people's behavior on a Sunday morning, first thing I would do is make it so that you all had to show up to church on time, all right? That'd be thing number one. Thing number two, though, I would, I would wave my little magic wand, Imperio you, and, and, and I'd make it so it was physically impossible for us to talk to somebody the first five minutes after church. It is physically impossible for us to talk to somebody we know or we know well. I'd call it the five-minute miracle, Right? For the first five minutes after church, we would only be able to speak to people who we don't know at all or who we don't know well, and we would go out of our way, either directly or indirectly, to communicate to them, hey, I'm happy to see you. I care about you. And this is a place 
where you can belong. See, when Paul says, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul's not trying to like pour fuel onto the fire of the Me Too movement. Not trying to panic people in the lobby. He's, he's trying to get us to engage in people's skill, number one. To greet one another, to welcome one another well, to communicate those things to the people who walk into our doors. Because in the mind of Paul, in the mind of Paul, happiness is connected with people skills. So let's look at people skill number two. People skill number two, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Now, people skill number two is really quite simple. It's to encourage one another. Now, to, to encourage, um, th that word that we have translated as encourage here, it means to call out of a person, to call the best out of them, and, and to do so in an effort to build them up. And th this isn't just a, a biblical concept. Research, some of the, 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 the most modern research is connecting this idea of encouragement and happiness together. Take, for example, Dr. John Gottman's research. What Gottman did is, is he began to study healthy homes, happy marriages. And he found a connection between happiness and encouragement and marriages that are happy. There, in fact, he found a five-to-one ratio when it came to encouragement and happy marriages. And, and what that means is for every one negative comment, for every one criticism, for every one correction in a happy home, you had five at least five encouraging words or five encouraging actions to go with the one negative. In a happy, healthy home, his research demonstrated you had a five-to-one ratio. If you're sitting out there right now and you're, and, and you're going, I'm not happy with my marriage. I'm not saying this is it, but it could, could it be that the, you haven't made the connection between encouragement and happiness? That you got way less than a five-to-one ratio. You, you may have more negatives than you have positives. Of all the types of encouragement, and there are different types that the New Testament points us to, admonishment might, might be my favorite one. Paul, Paul will say in Colossians, he'll say, admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, this word that we have translated here is admonish, the idea is that I take an idea and I try and plant it into somebody's conscious, consciousness. I, in, in, in the context of Colossians, it's almost high-octane encouragement. You're taking a biblical idea and you're trying to implant it in somebody's consciousness with the express purpose of trying to build that person up. Now, if you've ever, if you've ever experienced this, it can be encouraging. It can fall flat and be weird, but it, it can also be really encouraging. So we're, we're going to try and illustrate this a little bit today, um, right here at church. So Cheryl Gutterson, there's, there's that psalm where David says, um, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
I love the way God just is paying this incredible attention to detail before a person ever comes into the planet, before they walk the earth. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, it makes no sense that God has that kind of investment in a person's life before they are born and just sticks them with anybody. God knit Jackson together in somebody else's womb. He was fearfully and wonderfully created. And then God made sure he was put with you. You are the mother God intended Jackson to have. You are part of the impact God's going to have on this earth through that boy. He's like a wild, crazy arrow. <laughs> You're going to fire out from your bow onto the battlefield. On those days, you're like, I can't do this. He says, you can do all things. Even Jackson Xavier. Through Jesus who gives you strength. So Claudia and Steve, I know you guys are downstairs. I know you're watching because you're pushing all the buttons. <laughs> Words like biopsy and malignant and radiation and chemo, that's scary. And when, when those words are applied to you or somebody you love, that's paralyzing. And, and this idea that we have to face this alone, that's overwhelming. I know you guys, and I, I know you know this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Jesus has promised you, I am with you always. I will never leave you I will never forsake you. You couldn't get away. You couldn't flee from my presence if you tried. As you guys walk through the tests and the surgeries and the treatments, your Savior is walking next to you every step of the way. He is closer than the next breath you're going to breathe. You are far from alone in this. All right, Ella. So um, being a young adult is hard. All this pressure to dress right and to look right, run with the right crowd, be popular, say the right things. All this pressure to have figured out what are you going to do for the rest of your life and where are you going to go to college and what kind of job are you going to have and, and how are you going to make a difference in the world and, and to get good grades and to participate in all the extracurriculars. 
And most, most young people that I know, they work incredibly hard. They have this image on the outside that they've got it all figured out. And they're doing just fine. But on the inside, all kinds of young adults that I know, they wrestle with body image issues. They're desperate just to have somebody who would love and accept them just for who they are. They don't know what they want to do with their life or how to get there. And yeah, they'd like to make a difference, but they're not sure how. I don't care what the kids at school say. I don't care what you read in social media. And I tell you not to listen to the negative voices that may chatter inside your head. Your Father in heaven says you are his masterpiece just as you are. That he has handcrafted you and you're a work of art. And he's got plans for you. He's got a purpose. He thought of it before you were born. You just follow him. He'll work it out. So Michael, um, Proverbs says, the father of godly children has cause for joy. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to make me not love you. God knows you've tried. When I see you follow Jesus, when I see who he is formed in you, there is some kind of pride that wells up in me. I don't know how to describe it. Other than, I think, you and Becca, you two are the best thing I've ever done. Admonishment is to try and take a biblical truth and implant it in somebody's consciousness for the express purpose of building them up. Paul says, Are you looking for happiness? Encourage one another, build each other up. Now, Fair question to ask as we thought about these first two people skills. You know, to, to go, you can go, okay, sure, I, I greet one another, I can, welcoming people, I get that's a good people skill, and encourage one another, try and build other people up, that's, that's a good people skill, I get that. But the question then becomes, like, how does doing that stuff for those people help me be happy? And I would argue it comes back to what we started talking about right at the beginning. See, those people who we would 
and who we would greet well, those people who we would encourage well, you know who those people are? Those are God's kids. And how we treat God's kids, that matters to God. When I have an opportunity to welcome someone well and I can't be bothered because I'm too busy talking to the person I already know, that matters to God. And when I, when I fail to treat his kid well or I treat his kid poorly, he's not okay with that. Or when, when I have an opportunity to encourage someone, I don't want to, it's just too much effort, it's too much work, I don't want to put myself out there, risk it falling flat or being weird or awkward, that matters to God. Or when I'm, just the opposite, when I'm discouraging to one of his kids, he's not okay with that. How we treat God's kids, it matters to him. And so I can show up on a Sunday morning and I can, I can bring him gifts. I can give him money. I can sing him songs. I can bless his holy name. And he's saying to me, hey, it really doesn't matter. As long as you are treating my kids like you don't have any kind of people skills, we've got issues here. To, to think I'm going to treat his kids poorly and he's just going to bless my life with happiness is silly. But I, I would contend that just the opposite is true. You, you want to do something good for God? Do something good for his kids. You want to bless God? Bless his children. You want God to be inclined to look out for you? Be inclined to go out of your way to look out for his kids. See, I would argue there's a connection between people's skills and happiness because when, when we go out of our way to bless God's children, God is inclined to bless us with things like gladness and joy and happiness. And again, research in almost a silly kind of way would argue that for us. Pennsylvania State University, they did a research study. They had two groups. Group number one was readers. Readers, let me see you. Hands up, readers. All right. Group number two was huggers. Huggers, keep your hands up. Keep those hands up, huggers. Now, introverts, take a good look. These are the people you want to avoid in the lobby, all right? Because they're going to get you, all right? All right, so they had two groups, huggers and readers. They, they said to the readers, okay, over the course of these four weeks, you're just going to keep track of how many minutes you read every day. Huggers, your job is to hug no less than five people a day. At the end of the, at the, end of the study, the huggers scored significantly higher on the happiness scale than the readers did. It was almost in a silly kind of way as if th there was a connection between something as simple as, let me welcome you well, let me encourage you well, and the degree of happiness people experienced. All right, one more people skill, and then we'll wrap this up. People skill number three, be patient with one another. Paul expresses it this way. He says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, the, the word that we have translated here is patience. It's a... a um, um, a compound word in the original language made up of two words, uh, long and tempered. It's the opposite of that short-tempered person you know who's got a quick fuse or you know, trigger finger on their temper. They're always like emotionally erupting on you at the drop of a hat. Anybody got a short-tempered person in their life? 
Anybody sitting with their short-tempered person willing to confess that? Thank you, Rick. I appreciate that. Um, you moved your hand. It's like you bought it, all right? Um, Paul's like, hey, be patient. Be long-tempered. Your emotions should take a long time to boil. In fact, you, you want to get a sense of what Paul has in mind here with patience. Look at how some other translations bear this verse. Be patient with each other. How? Making allowance for each other's faults. Be patient. What do I do? Tolerate one another. Be patient. Put up with one another. Be patient and accept each other. Paul, Paul is saying, hey, if you're looking for happiness, you probably wouldn't think to look here, but if you really want to find it, be, be patient. You want to find happiness? Make allowances for your spouse's faults. You want to find happiness? Tolerate your neighbor. You want to find happiness? Put up with your kids. Put up with your parents. You, you want to find happiness? Accept each other for who they are, not who you want them to be. Now again, the, the natural question becomes, okay, I see have, being patient, it's a people skill, I can see how that's beneficial in life, but how does being patient help me find happiness? And I think there are two things to consider. First one's very simple. If somebody's patient with your kids, somebody tolerates your kids, if somebody accepts your kids, if somebody puts up with your kids, as a parent, I don't know about you, I appreciate that. When we're patient with God's kids, he appreciates that. But when it comes to patience, I think it's every bit as much about what we don't lose as it is what we gain. See, when we allow ourselves to become impatient, that costs us. We, we just think about the language we use for impatience. We'll, we'll say things like, um, you know, he gets on my nerves. You know, she gets under my skin. They're a pain in the neck, right? Whose nerves? Whose skin? Whose neck? Ours. Who's, who's, who's suffering here? We are. When I allow myself to go impatient, it costs me. And one of the things it costs me is my happiness. You, you can think of your, your happiness as something like you could put it into an account. And there are things you can do to, to, to make deposits. And there are things you can do to make withdrawals. You, know, you, you can get that account all nice and full. And then just start drawing down on it. Why does he, he left his clothes all over the floor again. Why can't she be ready on time? Why do people need those tattoos? Don't they realize they're so disgusting? Why are my tattoos anybody else's business anyway? Why does she need two parking spaces, you know? Every time I let myself go there, I give happiness away. Happiness is a precious commodity. Why in the world would I give it away? But that's what I do when I become impatient. I appreciate the way D.L. Moody was said to have tried to, to, to deal with this in his life. 
When, when he was tempted to be impatient with another person, when other people tried to get him to be impatient with others, Moody would be introspective and humble about it. When somebody would come to him and be like, hey, you, gotta be, you, know, you should get wound up about so-and-so because they're doing this wrong or they're not doing that right, Moody was famous for saying this. He would say, right now, I'm having so much trouble with D.L. Moody, I don't have time to find fault with that other fellow. I'm going to worry about me. I'm not going to give my happiness away worrying about you. Why is it that so many people want to be happy and so few truly are? Maybe it's because we're looking for happiness in the wrong places. The scriptures would say to us, hey, you want to be happy? You wouldn't think to look for it here. But look in the one another's. Quit looking in your job, in your spouse, in your grades, in your possessions, in your paycheck. Turn to an internal practice like people skills. Greet one another. Encourage one another. Be patient with one another. There's lasting happiness to be found there. Would you stand with me please as we pray? Father, we just, again, thank you for your truth. Father, we just pray that you would work in our hearts and in our lives as individuals, as a community of people. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who live more and more consistently into these one another's, the ones we've talked about today, the ones we haven't. Help us to be people who go out of our way to welcome others, to build others up, to be patient with others and more. Father, help us to be a community that is marked by being good to your kids. And we just trust that you will bless us in the midst of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.